closed storyline. So this is a first for me, recording a podcast directly. And I'm doing that because we had some audio issues with our recording this last Sunday on the 20th of September, where we met outside and live in person together at Royalton Township Park. And so I was asked to redo the talk from this Sunday on for this uh, podcast. And so that's what this is. So I'm going to jump right into it. This is the talk that we did on Sunday, September 20th. We got so much positive feedback about last Sunday, the 13th, and the opportunity to be together that we knew right away we had to try it again. And of course, that was actually the topic of last week's talk, togetherness. The God of the Bible is a communal God who made us to be in community. And this is why we all long to belong. And so God, in his loving grace, gave us one another. We also considered two things last week that can sabotage community. The first is what we call distancing. You know, living our lives disengaged, literally separated from others. And the second is another way to distance that's more subtle that we called masks of composure. And this is the temptation that even when we are together physically, to not really be in community because we're not transparent. We're not honest about ourselves, with ourselves, or with one another. And we discovered last Sunday that God's invitation to the abundant life happens in community. And community can only happen when we stop the distancing and drop the masks. And this morning, I want to take a deeper look into something that trips up togetherness. And this is something I think that both discourages and then spoils community. And it has to do with the way our culture, and by that I mean both the culture in the church and the, and the larger culture around us, misunderstands the relationship between truth and love. In a letter written to some early followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul talks about the importance of speaking the truth in love which is a beautiful sentiment as far as it goes. But if we were to look at how this actually plays out in real life, you'd think that Paul wrote something like, love requires that you tell people your opinion about what they believe, even if they never asked. And oh, don't forget to do so as if your opinion is the absolute truth. Now, that of course is not what Paul was encouraging us to do here, but the church and our culture at large seem to agree at least on this one thing, that telling people who disagree with us how stupid and immoral they are is what love looks like. Now, if we're going to take a chance, if we're going to take the risk to live in a diverse community, then we need to address this relationship between truth and love. There are a few reasons sharing our opinions as if they are the absolute truth trips up togetherness. And the first is we derive way too much of our identity from our view of the truth. I mean, especially pertaining to religion and politics, right? It doesn't need to be that way. Politicians and preachers are often guilty of this. They conflate these two things into one, what we believe and who we are. Yet those are two things. They're not one thing. And the question is, how do they convince us that our views and beliefs are the same thing as our identity? Well, the short answer is certainty. They manipulate us with certainty. Our political views and religious beliefs are not the same thing as who we are, unless or until our views and beliefs 
are things that we are absolutely certain about. When we proclaim our absolute certainty, we are tying who we are to what we believe. Now, politicians and preachers love this because they know it creates enormous loyalty, right? But the problem is, certainty leaves no room for budging, no openness for growth, no space to change. And that means no real community. You're locked in to only being with people who see things exactly the way you do. Now, don't hear me wrong. We can have very strong feelings, perspectives, beliefs, and opinions, and we can have great confidence in them. But we can do that without being certain. On Sunday morning, Mike and I needed to trade cars because uh, he needed my truck to get all the equipment to the park. And so he let me drive his BMW. Yeah, it was my first time driving a BMW. I don't know what we're paying this guy, but sheesh, it's too much apparently. When I got in his car to drive here, to drive to the park, I was confident I would get there safely, but I wasn't certain. When I drank that huge glass of milk this morning for breakfast, I was confident it wasn't spoiled, but I wasn't certain. And when I took two pills for my back this morning, I I was confident they were Advil, but I wasn't certain. Confidence is important. In fact, it's absolutely necessary, but certainty is another story. If certainty is the requirement for us to act, None of us would ever leave our basement because in real life, we're only confident about the drive to wherever we're going, about the milk being fresh, about the medicine being effective. We are confident enough to drive the road, drink the milk, take the medicine, but we are never certain. That's how real life, all of real life actually works. But in the realm of politics and religion, suddenly everyone feels like they have to be certain. Why? Now, there are many payoffs to certainty, and and we've talked about them before, but the price of certainty is steep. The argument that I'm trying to make this morning is that certainty costs us more than it gets us. Because the second we think we possess the whole truth, the irony is it then possesses us. We're no longer free to change our mind because our view, our opinion has become one and the same with who we are. Several weeks ago, I spoke about how many times I've changed my religious beliefs and political views in the last 30 years. And it's something I'm neither proud of nor ashamed of. It just is. And I got quite a few emails on this, like some affirming, some critical, and most a little confused, like, how could you do such a thing? And I'll tell you, the first time it wasn't easy. And I'm not saying it should be. It should be difficult to change our minds and to change our views, to change our beliefs. But I've discovered that I can believe what I believe with confidence without having to pretend I'm certain, which then holds me hostage. You see, certainty has this mystique, but we are mistaking rigidity for strength. Certainty makes us brittle, not strong. None of us, no one lives their life by certainty in our real everyday lives. We live by confidence. We live by faith but not by certainty. We don't need to be certain to do anything. And we don't need to be certain to live a life of love. The invitation of Jesus is to live by faith, by things that we have good reason to be confident in, but we have no reason 
to believe that we have to be certain of. When we do that in every area of life, our identity is no longer chained to our political views or religious beliefs. And we open up to all kinds of connections with others, belonging and community. Another problem that we can often run into in this relationship between truth and love and between what we see as being real and true and our ability to love and be loved by other people is our capacity to comprehend or even apprehend truth in the first place. I was reading this week about ethology, the study of animal behavior. Did you know that birds of prey can see a mouse from 15,000 feet? I mean, that's like seeing a kiwi in a field of grass and sticks from three miles up in the air. Dolphins can hear sounds at a frequency of 150,000 hertz. Ethologists have a name for this, the way certain animals experience the world because of their unique capacities and incapacities. The world as it is seen by a hawk and heard by a dolphin is called its umwelt. It's really easy for us to see in the animal world that there is a huge difference between the reality a hawk perceives and the reality a dolphin does because they have a limited umwelt. But the same is true for us. There is a huge space between the truth of reality and our umwelt. At this point, if you were with us on Sunday morning, the band came out and did a really cool live rendition of the Dave Matthews Band, The Space Between. Our growing awareness of the space between what we can know and all there is to be known, this space between our umwelt and the absolute truth of reality is the space where belonging begins. Without this space between, we are relegated to purity pockets and echo chambers where all we ever hear is the self-congratulation of drones telling us, you were right all along. And that isn't community. That is not what we are longing for, and it's not what we need. Now, don't get me wrong. We have ways of accessing truth, science, history, philosophy, and I believe the Bible gives us access to truth. But accessing truth is not the same as possessing truth. You see, we want to believe that we can see like hawks and hear like dolphins, but many times it's just the opposite. My wife will tell you I can't see dirty socks from 15 feet or hear her voice at 150 decibels. In reality, we see more like dolphins and hear more like hawks. And it is the truth of the Bible that reinforces this limited view of human beings. In one of the most detailed and theologically dense books of the Bible, Paul writes chapter after chapter trying to figure out and explain this whole Jesus thing and how it works. And while he says a lot of important things, giving us access to all kinds of truth, even Paul in the end recognizes that even he doesn't possess the truth. He has to acknowledge the huge space between reality and his umwelt. And by concluding a major section of his treatise on the Christian faith like this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Wow. What an admission. Uh, What a humble admission from the Apostle Paul. Accessing truth 
is not the same as possessing the truth. When we let go of certainty or our need for certainty and live instead by humble confidence, who we are is set free from what we believe. When we get honest about our own umwelt, our abilities and inabilities to access truth, we are put into a new posture toward ourselves and stance toward one another that encourages, nurtures, and cultivates true community, this kind of unconditional belonging. You know, in several talks last year, we described this another way. We talked about the need for truly diverse communities so that we can circumambulate, walk together around some sacred center as one community, but around the sacred center that's big enough and beautiful enough to hold us in the same orbit. When we open up to this, suddenly people who see things differently aren't enemies. They're essential. They aren't others. They're brothers and counselors, advisors, and friends. Partners who have eyes to see and ears to hear what we can't. They round out our umwelt and we do the same for them. I think this is why when we look at Jesus's final prayer, it was all about community. This is why when Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, um, is writing, he's always coming back and talking about community. These two weren't primarily trying to prove that what they believed was true. They were hoping to demonstrate by cultivating an inexplicable community of radical inclusion and grace that love isn't about telling people our opinions about what they believe. Love, well, it looks like and feels like love. The Bible says Jesus was the author and perfecter of our faith, yet there were moments in Jesus' life where he clearly was not certain. He wavered, he questioned, he doubted. What makes him the perfecter of our faith is not his certainty. It was that he stopped the distancing. He lived in proximity with others. He dropped the mask of composure. He often let people close to him know exactly how he was feeling and how life was going for him. And finally, even when he was uncertain, he didn't let that stop his confidence in the goodness of God. And he moved forward with his mission. Look, here's the thing. We live in a world that everyone wants to rule with their certainty, but no one wants to serve in humility. We live in a world where winning an argument is seen as solving the problem. We live in a very unpredictable, topsy-turvy world that understandably idolizes certainty, but doesn't see the human toll of loneliness it exacts on us. That's the price of certainty, and it's not worth it. Every news station, political pundit, and TV preacher is screaming at us, get it wrong and you can't belong. So get it right or get out, but not Jesus. His invitation is the opposite. Anyone can belong, even if, even when, maybe even, especially because we are always limited, sometimes incapable, and all too often wrong. It is into this world, it is into this time and place that God has placed us. Maybe it's so we can live in and live out the grace of God. 
as this inexplicable community of people no longer alone in our certainty. Maybe it's in this kind of community that God finally gets it through to us. It is not good for us to be alone. At this point, Mike and Morgan did a beautiful rendition of You're Not Alone by Mavis Staples and Jeff Tweedy. It's worth going to YouTube and looking that up and listening to this. So I love that line from this song. Open up, this is a raid. I'm going to get it through to you. You're not alone. Did you know the Bible says Jesus learned? Think about that. That means at one point, there was something that Jesus didn't know, and then he did. He discovered that reality was different or bigger than he thought it was. It changed his view. He changed his mind, his umwelt. And in doing so, he demonstrated the Godward life. Maybe that is the cost of community. Maybe this is the cost of community. Stop the distance, drop the mask, and lay down our certainty. Maybe that is the truth our lives are supposed to speak together in love. And why it is not good for us to be alone. Amen. Thanks for listening. So sorry uh, that the original uh, didn't work and hope that this serves you well and finds you well. Be good. Hope to see you soon. Bye.